1: Armando Salguero covers the NFL for OutKick.com. He'll be with us in 20 minutes. Plenty of headlines, including Antonio Brown and much more. Playoff implications for what's about to happen in week 18. We have plenty to discuss with Armando today. He's with us each and every Thursday on OutKick 360, broadcasting live from 6th and Peabody, our broadcast studio here with Old Smoky Moonshine and Yeehaw Beer, everything made right here on site. Paul, uh, we won't see any clips from you today from Derrick Henry. That's because everything was moved indoors. We don't know what they're doing. Um, and they, whenever they move things indoors, there's no reporters right now that observe practice. So uh, they'll release some footage of whatever they end up doing, I guess, and we'll get the injury report.
2: Yes. Um, And Derrick Henry, we won't get on an injury report because the guys on IR, we don't get a status of what they do or do not do. So, um, you know, whatever footage they put out as pull footage could, you know, depends on what they want to show us in terms of selectivity uh, with regard. I I would presume, uh, you know, and and we'll probably – the media in general probably read too much into it. I I would think he would have had a lighter day today anyway, first day after uh uh work day coming back from something like that. Then plus the turf, like you were the first to to think of yesterday, uh, not a good combination for him to do. I don't think a lot of work today, particularly if uh, if the, the the plan isn't for him to work on Sunday, which I. I'm on the side of uh I, I, I wouldn't be planning for that if I were them.
1: Coming up, I'll uh, I'll lay out three big keys for a Titans victory on Sunday. And before you sneer at that, keep in mind the Titans lost to this Houston Texans team uh not that long ago, right across the Cumberland River at Nissan Stadium. And not that close. Wasn't that close of a game? Yeah, it was a close game. What was the final score? I mean, it was a one possession game. Was it in the end? Five, I feel like
2: five turnovers. you're yeah. thinking of the five nothing. Turnover column, that wasn't that close.
1: I mean, it was uh, 12 nothing in halftime. Houston led, I think, and then... Sadly, it didn't feel close. Yeah, Last no, it, it didn't. It didn't. I mean, it, it was much more even, right, Like that than the lopsided talent that we see on both sides of, of the field. 22-13,
3: to 13, technically a two-possession game, but nine points.
1: Nine points. Yeah.
3: Ugly. Titans did win the fourth quarter 7-3, to three, if you're looking for a silver lining from that game. That was big. Close, strong.
1: No, it's not not how you start. It's how you finish. We are not that show. There is no silver lining losing uh, to the Texans or the Jets. Yeah, there's going
3: to be be someone gaining silver lining, but uh, that's what the you think anyone said in the locker room after the game, guys. It's not how you start. It's how you finish. And we won that fourth quarter seven to three in a twenty-two to thirteen loss to the Houston Texans. That's what we accomplished today. (laughs) Let's go get them,
1: Uh, team on three. Let's go, (laughs) Titans on three. Is there a silver lining to anything <laughs> close, we've seen from, last Monday. Yeah. from Notre Dame this bowl season with Marcus Freeman? Chad, you you say there is a not an uphill climb, but the path is pretty long to accomplish some things for him.
3: Yeah, so we, we've been uh, kind of sporadically going into the, the five big takeaways for me from bowl season, non-playoff edition. Number one yesterday was Pac-12's in trouble. We all know that. And I agree. And I yeah. laid out the case for USC with a big-time exclamation point and Utah being the chance to get back to relevance uh, in that conference. Today, I want to go to Notre Dame. Marcus Freeman's got a lot of learning to do. Um, Now, keep in mind, Marcus Freeman was a sophomore at Ohio State when Mike Gundy made his head coaching debut at Oklahoma State. So, Mike Gundy had a bit of a head start in terms of head coaching and coaching in football. So, I want to cut Marcus Freeman some slack here for sure. his debut as a head coach, but he blew a 28-7 to lead in that game. Late second quarter, Notre Dame's up 28-7 on Oklahoma State. That's the biggest blown lead in, for Notre Dame since 1991, Miracle in South Bend versus Tennessee when they came from behind. I think that was 35-7 to in that game, if I'm not mistaken, and Tennessee came back and won in the second half. Um, so, uh, look, a huge gaffe. From Marcus Freeman in game number one and blowing that lead and losing to an Oklahoma State offense, that's not terrific. They got a good defense, uh, but I, I, look, I get Kyle Hamilton, their great safety, opted out, didn't play in that game. They had some other guys who weren't available, uh, but that's a rough start for Marcus Freeman. I think the lesson, guys, here is, is this. We all applauded the Marcus Freeman hire because the players loved it, right? It was uh, no one like Brian Kelly at the time. It looked like he's kind of a snake for leaving and going to LSU and everything that went on with that. And this was sort of a feel-good story of young coach who's been good everywhere he's been, has a connection with the players. Defensively, they've been pretty good. They were very good at Cincinnati, where he was defensive coordinator before that. You got the feel-good video of the players embracing him in the in the workout room, and when he the, right before he was named the head coach, all of that. It sounds great, feels great. We have to learn though that. Head coaches are not finished products when they start, especially a 35-year-old, 36-year-old head coach in his debut. And the one thing he's this got going is for This is a him big-time too. job. This is a big-time responsibility, and it's not good enough. And I'm not saying Marcus Freeman's not a good football coach. He is a good defensive coordinator. But it takes more than being a good-looking young guy that connects with the team and the players and can coach defense to be a good head coach, there are certain things you can't learn until you do it. And he's going to start to learn those lessons. And he learned a really tough one in the fiesta. Bowl. But
1: it's highly unusual that you get elevated to a position. Uh, I mean, it, it could be anywhere, let alone at, at Notre Dame. And your entire staff that's around you at his age as a first time coach stays, everything's intact. So, He's got that going for him that normally a young coach is out trying to put a staff together. And for the most part, it's not the staff you end up wanting a year or two down the road. You change and interchange coordinators, position coaches. And and Freeman has the right to do that with the current staff. But, you know, the offensive coordinator and the play caller is staying, the offense is staying the same. Everything can kind of just continue to move with a different voice and a different vision atop the program.
2: I was thinking it might actually prove to be – Yeah, in an odd way, kind of good good for
1: him. I I agree.
2: In kind of what you were talking about, Chad, just that everything felt so good. Everything was so upbeat, particularly, you know, that video carried so much weight when he was introduced to the team and they went so crazy. And if he won it, you know, if they won that game, I think there could have been a little bit of a feeling like, hey, smooth transition, young guy coming in, has this energy and maybe overrate a lot of those things. And, and underrate a little bit of the, not that the guy wasn't going to come in and work hard, but just kind of feel like there's a magic thing going on here and take for granted. Some of the stuff I'm, I'm making it sound too simple there, but you know what I'm getting at and you come in, you get hit over the head and the first thing and you kind of get that reset. Hey, yeah, I've been here and there's a lot of good feelings and stuff going on, but we got to all go get to work here. Um, and, and we are starting from zero in a lot of ways, despite the fact that, that we're not coming in from outside.
3: People are going to hear what I'm saying right now and take it as, um, uh, Chad, some old fuddy-duddy that doesn't understand modern football and college football and what 18- to 22-year-olds want and all that. That's not the case. I understand that players today are different. What appeals to them are different. The sport is getting younger. We're seeing a lot of younger head coaches have success, but... Notre Dame is not exactly a young man's program. No. Nope. If you go through the history of Notre Dame, when was the time that Notre Dame having youthful energy at head coach led to their great success?
1: And they normally change over coaches quite often. I mean, that Brian Kelly's the all-time winningest coach there. Yeah, I mean, the only
3: time I could think, and Ty Willingham wasn't that young of a guy, but that was the first African-American head coach. At Notre Dame, I'm trying to think of a time where I thought of Notre Dame as cool,
2: young, youthful, vibrant. I think of all it those as, things. Just, uh, as generational. You go there because your dad and his grad day old money, right? I, I
3: think of it as, I mean tradition. Like I don't think of it in a bad way. Tradition rich, old money, uh, classic. You know what you're gonna get. Yeah, throwback when you go there. Great academic Rudy. institution. You know, it's it, it's not... Well, we grew over, up with the Lou Holtz era. Like, okay. I think people are excited because they see the Notre Dame family back Marcus Freeman, and they see the players get behind him and really enjoy playing for him and, and loving him and all that. I think all those things are good. But to me, it is a very interesting case study in taking a known brand that is known for one thing, and let's give it this youthful vigor in, in a more modern sense. And I'm not saying that Marcus Freeman's coming in there and saying, you know, we're going to eliminate the Notre Dame fight song and we're not going to we're not going to hit the play like a champion sign today on the way. He's going to embrace all the traditions and everything else uh, that you would at Notre Dame. I'm, I'm not saying it that way, but to me, it is fascinating that this is a program known for being old, stodgy, classic, traditional, and for the most part, it has served them well. Has not served them well in big bowl games and playoffs. They're o for their last nine in major bowl games and playoff games, but Overall, it has served them well. It served Brian Kelly well. they won a ton with Brian Kelly. So let's see now how this works. I think ultimately it's going to work. A lot of it has to do with Tommy Reese and, and how yeah. good he's going to be as offensive coordinator. That's always the case when you get a head coach that's attached to one side of the ball and Marcus Freeman not only is attached to the defensive side, he was their defensive coordinator this year and he got elevated. But I just think the whole thing is is fascinating about what could happen next with Notre Dame and Marcus Freeman... As a young guy, a new head coach, learning on the job at Notre Dame. We've mentioned a bunch of times there are plenty of college jobs that it's not ideal to learn on the job. It should be more of a, not that you're ever a finished product with whatever your profession is, but you need to have been a head coach a few times or at least once to get a job like Notre Dame. We say that about a lot of jobs. This is a first time head coach, young guy, taking over at Notre Dame. I'm. I'm going to enjoy watching this. Well, it whatever happens, I'm. I'm going to enjoy it.
1: Doesn't it speak volumes though that at Notre Dame the leadership there, the decision makers there, where they, they for the first time they have a sitting coach bolt and go and jump for a, another program and and leave them, and, and and for college football we've seen guys go to the NFL but not to college. That first time we've seen it, and to consider that. They don't go out and get the next big hire. Like they could go out and practically not not everybody, but practically go out and get whichever coach they want because of the what the program represents and the magnitude of it. Like Urban Meyer, uh Luke Fickle. I mean and all, all the big names. To lost all the big names uh that would be associated with that coaching search. And but didn't even worry. In the presser about naming an interim coach because they knew exactly what they were going to do even though everyone was caught off guard. The coaching staff caught off guard with the way Brian Kelly bolted for LSU. They were out recruiting and got phone calls from media members and saw things on Twitter that he was leaving. And they don't start a national search. They don't wait on the next big name. They elevate. They elevate from within and they just move forward. I mean, to me... That it that's all the validation I need that the guy has it behind the scenes.
3: And, and in doing that, they made the decision that we're going with they, a more youthful, energetic, did it, younger coach. But I also think they huh, did your, it in a year. Yeah. Your point is well made in that it's, it's twofold. It, to me, it's less about Notre Dame making some institutional decision. We're going to get young. We're going to get hip. We're going to go and hire a young coach. It's more of, This guy impressed so many people on campus. In one year. That matter. In one year. And he is so impressive when they interviewed him. And he got to know people around there. And the players like and respect him so much that we think he is a no-brainer star head coach in the making. And we're not going to let him go. And I think it's an announcement that we like what Brian Kelly did. We like this roster. We want to make this roster happy. We want to make this team happy. We want to keep winning at this clip. That's not to say they're not also hoping they win a big bowl game or a playoff game, unlike Brian Kelly. Right. But there's a lot worse than 10 wins a season and worrying about losing the big game after the regular season is over. Brian Kelly did very well at Notre Dame. Marcus Freeman would do very well to duplicate what Brian Kelly did. Right? That would be a successful tenure if after a decade he had Brian Kelly's resume at For Notre sure. Dame.
2: I'm I think sure. Notre Dame would take that right now. The interesting thing to me is and I presume we would have heard about it, right? I don't know. Maybe there's a small segment of Notre Dame people who who panicked at this or who, you know, were said why didn't we go get, you know, anybody but the five coaches who who just moved, you know, uh, uh, Lincoln Riley's unavailable. And, uh, you know, they're, they're a handful of guys who we know are untouchable right now, but we could get anybody else. So why didn't we at least investigate in that? But I I didn't hear that. I didn't read that anywhere. So it seems like the vast majority of Notre Dame, and I follow some Notre Dame alum in the media and I didn't, uh, they were all pro this move.
1: Uh, I mean I haven't heard heard much negativity. I think about there it would have all. been at
2: least a, a segment of yeah. the old school the, population that would have been. The other exciting thing for said Irish was cheap. fans is with Tommy fast. Reese.
1: Tommy Reese now, the, the idea is the defensive coordinators under Brian Kelly over the years, and Kelly always put together a really nice staff, the defensive coordinators always had their free reign of that side of the football. And whatever you're doing alone. whatever you're doing on offense went through the head coach Brian Kelly. And the idea is now that Freeman is the head coach; it's now reversed, where we'll actually get to see Tommy Reese's offense, and maybe some some extra things thrown in that we were not seeing from the Notre Dame offense, you know, in years past. And offensively, Don't know that, but offensively, that, that's, the, that's the hype around it.
3: Yeah, offensively, they were good in Game One of Tommy Reese without Brian Kelly on top of him. Mm-hmm. I mean, they they were good against a good Oklahoma State defense in that game. It it was an offense that lost them the game.
1: Coming up, Armando Salguero about to join us. NFL headlines. We'll start with Antonio Brown. Uh, We'll move around the league. Aaron Rodgers. uh, What does Brady do now with the receiving core that he has? He has Mike Evans. And the rest of the receivers are really interesting. They're either about to be household names because Brady elevates the play around him or they're about to be quick exits in the playoffs. We'll discuss the playoffs and the implications for Week 18 next. Armando Salguero joins us on OutKick 360. Glad you're with us across the OutKick network this afternoon. If you're in the Middle Tennessee area, stay safe. And if you're outside the Tennessee area, we appreciate you tuning in. Time to talk some NFL headlines. Week 18 is upon us, the longest season in NFL history, the regular season wraps up this coming Saturday and Sunday, and uh, with us to preview the matchups and all the big headlines leading up to kickoff, Armando Salguero of Outkick.com. He joins us each and every Thursday at this time. Armando, happy New Year to you. Hope you're doing well. Hope the Wi-Fi is up and running strong for you in the move. And uh, man, there's plenty to discuss off the field uh, as. <laughs> as Antonio Brown ran off the field This past uh, Sunday in New York How are you?
0: I'm doing great uh, Happy New Year Or as they say in my hood Feliz Año Nuevo <laughs> And um, let's go Let's get it
1: Okay, so what do you Do you understand the side of Antonio Brown As you read through the lawyer statements As you read through the tweets that he sends out The screenshots do you understand any part of what he's putting out there or is it just as confusing as it was Sunday and Monday throughout this entire saga?
0: No, I uh I think I uh, you know, I I have a grasp <laughs> of what he's trying to say and l- l- let me just say that first of all history plays a factor here because it's pretty clear that Bruce Arians has been torqued off at Antonio Brown for a while. And I think it probably goes back to the falsified COVID-19 vaccine um, documentation saga. So I think that there was an issue there. And there was another issue in that Antonio Brown wanted guaranteed money last week from the Tampa Bay Bucks for incentives that he was likely to earn anyway in the next two weeks or the final two weeks of the season. And they declined to guarantee those incentive monies. And that put him in a bad place, too. So bad that suddenly his ankle started to bother him. And he went on the injury report. So that's the history that we have going into Sunday, and suddenly the New York Jets are beating the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And it's the first quarter, and the Bucs are losing, and the second quarter, and the Bucs are losing. And halftime, and the Bucs are losing, and Antonio Brown is not getting uh, enough targets, according to Antonio Brown. So he kind of goes off in the locker room, And his teammates kind of calm him down. In the third quarter, he's still not getting the targets. He's still not getting in the game enough. And so he decides, okay, I'm not going to get the ball. I'm going in the game. And in the heat of the moment, of course, the player is angry. The coach who comes over to him He's angry because the player is not going in the game like he's been ordered to. And that's where you have what happened. I think that's that's the picture that I get. Am I wrong? I mean, this all makes sense, actually, to me. Yeah. And I, a bunch of heated arguments on the sideline. Last week, we saw teammates punching each other or taking a swipe at each other. The week before in Washington we saw that as well. Last week the incident I'm talking about was with the Los Angeles Rams. So, yeah, football's an emotional game. Emotional stuff happened on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers sideline on Sunday.
1: Well, so I I and I'm about to hand things off to Chad here for the next follow-up question of this. But my theory here Armando, and and again, just my side of trying to read between the lines. I think he wanted the guarantees locked in because he was going to pull this ankle stunt this week and get the surgery, I, I and, and he was close to it. I mean, and if he's worried about the targets, he had five targets through two and a half quarters of that game. He caught three passes. They're not avoiding him on the field. I, I wonder if they're trying to get the guarantees locked in or the incentives locked in so that he's getting the 2 million dollars he doesn't have to reach that number of catches or yards or whatever and he ends up getting the ankle surgery i wonder if all of that played a factor
0: yeah i mean obviously he wanted the money i'm not i mean it it would be a stretch for me to imagine that antonio brown sat there and said to himself i'm going to have surgery i'm going to try to get you know, this money ahead of time. And I'm, you know, this team is going to the playoffs. Right. But I'm bugging out. I'm quitting on this team. Quitting, by the way, what he did on Sunday, everybody says was quitting. Bruce Arians told him, you're out of here. Get bleep out. Bruce Arians admitted to that today. So Antonio Brown did what he was told, as a matter of fact.
1: Shirtless.
3: Yeah, and, and, <laughs> and Armando, your tweet that you put out, this was four hours ago, I think before Bruce Arian spoke, but you said, I know I'm going to be out here by myself on this, and history says be careful, but a lot of Antonio Brown's story makes sense, seems plausible to me. And I'll say that was my initial reaction reading it also. I was thinking, this seems like something that would happen. In the NFL, it doesn't seem that outrageous that all the things he's saying would have taken place. So where do you rank this in terms of having three days to come up with the appropriate story to cover yourself with his agent, with his lawyer, with everyone else? I'm sure there's some truth in here and there's some things that are stretched, some things that are left out, obviously, but where would you rank the cover story from Antonio Brown because... I, like you read it and thought, yeah, maybe this is what happened.
0: Yeah. So the way I see it is honestly, Chad, I don't believe anybody, (laughs) you know, because the goalposts that we, we think are at a certain spot, they're moving as we speak day to day on Monday, Bruce Arian said that what happened with Antonio Brown, when he came over is quote, we had a conversation and then he was gone, okay? So that suggests to me that the coach comes over and talks to the player, tries to convince him to go in, and it didn't work, and the player quit. What the coach said today was, I went over to him, I asked him what was wrong, and when he said what was wrong, which was, I'm not getting the ball enough, you're not using me, uh, and I'm not going back in, Bruce Arians said, I told him to get the bleep out. Suddenly that conversation doesn't feel the same to me. Suddenly that conversation feels like, you know, the coach was ordering him to do something. And so I can't totally dismiss Antonio Brown's weirdness. Um, and it's weird. It's, I've seen players, look, I covered the Miami Dolphins. Mike Wallace quit on the team uh, at the end of the 2014 season. I covered the Miami Dolphins and Rashad Jones quit on the team in the 2017 season. I believe the point being that I've seen players quit. That one was a little bit different and a little, it just, I don't know, man. I I, I don't know. i one last
2: piece to it. That guy can't stop himself, obviously. So he tweets some stuff out today that he ultimately deletes. But in there, he takes a shot at the one guy who's been his patron the whole time, Tom Brady, who who's responsible for getting him there, who's responsible for uh, obviously they helped each other win a Super Bowl. He lived with him. Uh, he he housed yeah, he him it, when this whole thing happened. He could have lit him up and instead he tells people to be compassionate and everything and then he goes at him in this stuff about Alex Guerrero and TB12 and says how do you is this the kind of guy you hang with or work with or or whatever. Uh, so he's so disconnected. I mean, he doesn't even relate to the idea that the one guy he should be hands off with is Brady. That that, that anytime I might start to give him a little bit of credence, a little bit of benefit, he does something that reminds me like He's just too far gone,
0: breaking colon Antonio Brown is not a stable dude, and so, yeah, he does dumb stuff and and obviously, later on, somebody either speaks to him or he comes off his weirdo, you know plateau, and he deletes stuff, like you said it it's it's awful that he went after. Tom Brady and Tom Brady's guy Guerrero having said that um Antonio Brown you know I think is a guy that Tom Brady has said it and I believe him uh the man needs help he probably needs some counseling or something some anger management I don't know what it is I don't know the guy you know that good and uh, apparently I'm not going to because he's he spent the day blocking a bunch of reporters from following him. And so all I know is that typically when you have a, a, a player who has had a checkered past and goes to a new team, he gives you one year, one season of really outstanding behavior. And then teams start to buy in and start to think, well, the guy's changed. Everything's going to be fine. It's, it's OK. We've we've affected him positively. But in that second year, I'm telling you, the stripes that were there before come back. They're obvious. And you've got problems again. Antonio Brown has now been through four teams. I don't know if he's going to be back with a fifth team at any point but this is antonio brown and don't buy the the whole i i can change thing it's 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 not something that probably he can do it's not something that most people can do just just between us did you get a quick screenshot of that
2: tweet and did you get the bank numbers and did you were you able to make a quick (laughs) transaction
0: no uh actually so, true story, one time I tweeted out, accidentally, uh, a source shared with me a check that the Miami Dolphins had paid a player as a bonus, and I I actually tweeted out the check. <laughs> <laughs> and it had the numbers on the bottom. <laughs> it showed them, the routing number and all that stuff. Uh, you know, and I said, "Oh my God, this account this has millions and millions and millions of dollars in it." But ultimately, <laughs> all right. My point is, I'm not the one to judge on that
3: issue. You know the the judging of mental health, right? I mean, this, we live in a time now, Armando, that you could claim mental health after any mistake, and then media would lay off. Everyone would lay off of that, right? So if Antonio Brown said, "Look," I've been dealing with these issues. I haven't been medicated or I need to go see someone else about it or whatever. I think a lot of the criticism would stop from a media standpoint. I found the aftermath of this to be fascinating. A lot of people saying this guy is clearly mentally ill and needs help. I wouldn't disagree with that from the outside looking in, but I'm also not a psychiatrist. And then you've got Tony Dungy on Sunday night football saying pretty much the same thing. Like, look, this is a guy who's got issues. He's got demons He's got mental problems going on and the league needs to stop playing into that by signing him. They need to force him or tell him you're not playing football until you address these issues. What did you make of Dungy's statement? What have you made to just the media reaction to everything we saw on Sunday and everything we've seen with Antonio Brown?
0: I totally agree with Tony Dungy with one small caveat problem. The league is not this... uh, one size fits all, uh, you know, blockbuster thing that makes one decision and it applies to everyone. As we all know, the league is comprised of 32 different teams, 32 different owners, general managers, coaches. And so there is no one decision by the league. It only takes one guy thinking and believing so much in himself that I can change Antonio Brown to sign him, and he's back in the league. And we've seen it time after time. We saw it with the Patriots and Bill Belichick. We saw it, you know, with Tampa Bay uh, and Bruce Arians and 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 uh, and their front office. My point being that. It's impossible to, you know, to relegate one decision to the entire league when the league is 32 different decision makers. And I guarantee you, I guarantee you as we shift and we, you know, go on and new decision makers come on board, we're going to have at least four or five new coaches coming on board Uh, as soon as next week, there will be people who believe I'm the guy that can change that guy. I can get a different result. And what ultimately probably happens is that guy ends up suffering the same problems that the five other teams or the four other teams that have been unable to manage Antonio Brown have, have, you know, suffered.
1: Armando, a lot's going to happen between now and next Thursday when we chat with you. We'll we'll know the playoffs. We'll be previewing Wild Card Weekend, and Black Monday will have happened. You just alluded to the changes at head coach. Do you think some of those changes happened with the Giants and Joe Judge or Matt Rule in Carolina? Do you think we're discussing either job being open at this time next week?
0: Yeah, everyone's uh, associated, affiliated with the Giants that I've spoken with. Has said that Joe Judge is going to be all right. And by all right, I mean employed by <laughs> New York Giants. I don't think he's all right as a coach, and I don't think he's all right in his post game press conferences because <laughs> weird. Um, but, you know, if I were making that decision, he'd be out of there yeah. because, uh, all right, he, he doesn't seem to be to me a, a fit for that market and the results are not there. So those are two two strikes right there. I also don't like the idea of, you know, getting rid of a general manager, but imposing the incumbent head coach on the next guy. I, I think those shotgun weddings rarely, if ever work. And that's what the Giants would be doing if and when, and I believe it's gonna be a when, Dave Gettleman is no longer the general manager of the team
1: and rule in Carolina safe for another year.
0: I think he's safe for another year. Again, uh, NFL owner Mondo. Right. He's not
1: right. Um, chargers or Raiders this weekend winning in.
0: Yeah. You know, I'm not going to go against Justin Herbert. Come on, man. (laughs) I love that guy. Justin Herbert. I love him. If Brandon Staley would please stop going for ridiculous fourth down uh conversions when it's like fourth and eight <laughs> at your 40? Come on, don't do that. That's not that that's not analytics. That's dumb a dumb <laughs> That's ridiculous. That's dumb.
1: And San Francisco LA Rams. Which way do you lean there? Because San Fran has had success against the Rams as of late, including this season, a 31-10 to 10 win already.
0: Yeah, the 49ers are still trying to figure out who's going to play quarterback for them because Jimmy Garoppolo is trying to, to practice with his um, with his bad fingers. So I don't know which way that decision is going to go. I don't think right now they know which way it's going to go. Um, if the Rams are playing all their guys – I, I I don't see the 49ers winning that game.
1: Finally, Armando, wh- when do you have to turn in your vote for coach of the year?
0: Yeah, that, that's, uh, I believe, so the Associated Press asks for all those together. We do the all-pro team, we do the MVP, we do coach of the year, rookie of the year, all of those, and they're all together. And I do believe it's uh, right either Monday or Tuesday of next week.
1: And am I correct in thinking, like the MVP vote, you put one name down? This is not a Heisman-like situation where you tally up votes. You you only select one name for each item on the list, correct?
0: That is 100% correct.
1: Okay.
3: Should Hub Arkish keep his vote?
0: Look, uh, I wrote a column at Outkick.com taking him to task. I really dislike what he did. I thought it was unprofessional. And I think that to make a decision on an on-field award based on your uh, feelings off the field about what a guy is and what he believes and what he has done and what he doesn't done, I think that's kind of despicable. So if you're asking me if I'm the guy making the decision on Hub, I think Hub doesn't merit that vote anymore. I think he has he has cast himself as kind of, it's ignoble
1: what he's done. And uh, all the time, I mean, Paul would tell us stories. We get tweets on the, the show we were doing previously about certain votes and who, you know, who's eligible for the Hall of Fame. And you have to separate that off-field stuff with that vote as well. And sometimes that's hard to comprehend, but you guys are able to do it. Um, that's part of the gig here. Uh, and, and And the other part is you don't really chime in on how you're voting or how you're not voting with all of this that's also part of it Armando Salguero has been our guest Uh, he joins us each and every Thursday but you can read his work every day at outkick.com hope you're doing well and uh, what's the temperature there
0: oh oh I know that it's snowing where you guys are at 71 <laughs> enjoy okay,
1: yeah enjoy Yeah, uh, send us a picture on twitter if you don't mind <laughs> hey,
0: just stop snowing there were some armando. clouds just today stopped. though uh, yeah guy. there was some clouds today so things got a little hectic there for a minute or two Real, but really touching yeah go. 71 yeah <laughs> i enjoy.
1: appreciate you have a great weekend we'll be reading everything at, at outkick
0: thank you man armando um, salguero
2: how marcus wrote an apology column that was odd <laughs> the whole uh, thing to say is, the least.
0: Yeah.
3: I didn't even want to read it. <laughs> I saw the post and I'm thinking, let's discuss. I wanna I was, want to hear I want to hear it why was it was hot.
1: Yeah, we'll we'll discuss Hub Arkish's uh apology ish column. And there is an NFL stat, so since the merger of the interconference battle, AFC versus NFC, it's extremely lopsided in a way that I had no clue about. When the AFC teams match up against the NFC teams during the regular season, that's also next on OutKick three hundred and sixty. OutKick three hundred and sixty rolls on across the OutKick network. We say hello hello to everyone listening. To Sports Radio one hundred four point seven across the Upper Cumberland crew is all here alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Koharski. I'm Jonathan Hutton, sixth and Peabody. Our broadcast studio location. David Reed, the chairman of the board manning not just he radio for us job. but he's also steps video for us david
3: reed is the mvp today there I'm is sure. no question about it no doubt about it he's working two jobs and doing a great job i'm sure
2: you've got one of those apps david because you do so much walking on a daily basis well the tracks, man just said back sir tracks your at your you're walking and uh, today's gonna be sky high
1: <laughs> he's got 32 32 steps uh, on many? a day what'd
2: you say one and a half miles. I will say, I well think, done, I think the
1: back surgery worked
3: with Reed <laughs> oh, he's because he's sprung. moving a lot better. Very I've noticed a difference in his gait. Yes. It's a lot less painful looking.
1: Can I give you a quick stat, and then we'll hit on the yeah, Hub archers? I'm
3: anxious to hear this stat.
1: So San Francisco, this is from Rick Goslin, who does a great job with just historical stats on the NFL. Amazing. Uh, great follow on Twitter. San Francisco's win over Houston clinched the interconference series for the NFC this year. Like top, from week one until now, it clinched it. There it ends at forty thirty nine and one. We've got divisional matchups this weekend. That's how close it was, decided by one game in a tie, forty thirty nine and one, and the one tie was the NFC over the AFC. Um, it's only this shocked me. It's only the fifteenth time that the NFC has won this series in the fifty-two year history of interconference play since the merger in seventy-two. That is stunning to me that fifteen times out of fifty-two years, the NFC won the matchup head to head over the AFC. I'm, sur- it,
2: it, I'm surprised by that because the NFC was Super Bowl dominant yeah. for a good stretch.
1: But the NFC, I, I think it's
3: incredible because that that Top showed head. the NFC had a dominant team to win the Super Bowl. But what other Sports? Can you think about but, the newcomer that would have that dominant of a record?
1: But think about I mean, the,
3: you know, the NFC is the the senior circuit. The right? year they of, were the ones that it, were there. It,
1: it's the league of parody. Like they they want everything to be fifty forty nine and one. Yeah. yeah. And it's no. I mean it's it that is very lopsided for a league that wants eight and eight or eight eight and one. <laughs> like That's Pittsburgh. crazy.
2: We need to uh just because of that what I spun off there. I'd like before the Super Bowl look back at how bad the Super Bowl used to be. Because the Super Bowl is great now almost all the time. Even last year, it wasn't a very good game, but it was still a close, tense game generally long enough. And last year qualified as a bad one in the the recent context. In old-time context, last year would have been a classic.
1: Yeah, Because it 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 used
2: to be a a 30, 40-point game all the time.
1: It felt like it for sure. Uh, Paul, we've got about two minutes left before we hit some uh, headlines and three things on how the Titans beat the Texans. But your thoughts on Hub Arkish's apology column. Yeah,
2: I mean, I think he tried. I do think he tried. I think when you're writing an apology column like that, you always wind up sidetracked a little bit trying to defend yourself, explain yourself. And what people want to hear is just an outright apology so he said like he let the guys he was on the radio with walk him down a path he shouldn't have gone on. Well that sounds like you're passing the buck a little bit and not taking full blame. It's also probably hard to write 800 you know a, a regular length column that's all apology. Um but it, it wasn't great. It it's
1: wasn't also great. easy to say those things in Chicago about Aaron Rodgers. Yes like if if you look at it like you're in a bubble a sports radio bubble of speaking to Chicago Bears fans instead of speaking to the country it's very easy to say the things yeah. he said and get away with it what yeah, he does in pro football weekly is
3: different than what he does on Chicago
1: radio
2: yeah and those guys with are different egging him on different and, hats. and what he does as a voter but right. those guys are egging him on when he's when he's talking like that I'm sure and whatever but you have to uh monitor yourself in the moment or you suffer the consequences but again like i think we're all the same like i don't know that should end your career that you said something dumb
1: no it shouldn't be it shouldn't in, end in his career moment. it shouldn't end his career but i mean but a lot
2: of people on it, twitter responding to that thing would have him shouldn't end his it, career but
1: it should end his vote yeah, yeah mean, to if you're admitting else. that he's the mvp on the field well that's that's yeah. what you're voting for In this regard, he he should
2: have said in the column, I'm changing my vote. I said he was MVP and I'm going to vote for him as MVP. He didn't say that. He should have said, I'm giving my vote to someone else.
1: Chad Withrow. It's not his to give. Or without kick 360 next. I'll take it.